Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, I love that. I love that psalm, uh, especially the way it ends. It's a beautiful picture of a, a shepherd gathering the sheep through all the seasons of life. Ending with, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a reminder that it's the design and the plan of God that his sheep dwell with him, the good shepherd, in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. It's what we're going to be talking a little bit about this morning as we uh, return back uh, to our study going through the book of Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles with you, we, we, uh, we took a little bit of a four-week detour, um, a little bit before Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and, and um, now we are returning back into our study. We've been looking at uh, the book of Thessalon- Thessalonians um, uh, verse by verse uh, these last number of months, and uh, we are returning back to that. If you've started coming to Integrity in the last four weeks or just started to tune in and, and want to catch up, you can get all that information online for free on our website or our podcast or our, our church app. Um, but we are going to de- take a deep dive back in where we left off in the book of Thessalonians. Um, so just by way of a quick review, uh, by uh, Paul started the church in Thessalonica after only having been there uh, for a few weeks. The gospel of Jesus Christ is making impact in the area that he is assigned and as a result, he is chased out by the officials because so many people are embracing the culture, that uh, the gospel, that it's literally shifting the culture uh, in Thessalonica. Isn't that awesome? The power of the gospel, it changes places. Thessalonica wasn't up for it, though. Thessalonica was a very wealthy city. They acquired much of their wealth through uh, pagan practices, uh, the sale of all kinds of pagan paraphernalia and idols and all forms of idolatry and sexual deviance was the, was the norm for uh, the city of Thessalonica. But what ended up happening is now the people embrace the gospel. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they start turning from those practices, start turning from those idols. And the big money maker in Thessalonica was starting to feel the impact of the church right in the wallet. And so they start to, so they chase Paul out. And, and, and when they realize that, you know, just getting Paul out of the, the city wasn't going to do it. They, they, they attempted to discredit Paul and his ministry, as we looked at that a couple of uh, weeks back, and then uh, they even went as far as to circulate uh, forged letters that appeared to be from the Apostle Paul amongst the church. While we don't know all that the lying letters contained, we do know, based on Paul's clear teaching of Christ's return, that it was an attempt to rob the church of the hope that, they, that Christ's return promises. You can see what Paul is looking to address by the very content that we see uh, pre- being presented in First and Thess- Second Thessalonians. What's very interesting is Paul was only in Thessalonica for a short amount of time. And clearly he had spent a a portion, a good portion of that time teaching about the second coming of Christ. 
You see, the reason these, que these questions even surfaced among the church in Thessalonica was based on Paul's teaching of Christ's return and the subject of the eminence of Christ's return, meaning that it could happen at any moment. The doctrine of eminency is important for us to understand. Eminency means that Christ can return at any moment without any sign, without any wonder, without a, at any moment, Christ can arrive and return for his church. The doctrine of eminence is important to our understanding of eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. And so eminence refers to the fact that Christ can return at any moment, which is why the church was concerned. Because the church was going through some hard times. The church was undergoing some persecution. The church was experiencing hardship. And they started to think that maybe we missed the return of Christ and we're going through the tribulation period. And then these false letters that were circulating around in the name of Paul, Paul writes the letters to address the church and bring clarity on what he meant when he was teaching about the end times. Paul's two letters are a response to some of the questions that were raised from the leaders in the church, some concerns regarding the return of Christ. In fact, if you look at, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul will say this in verse 1. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, those are the two separate incidences, right? Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. And so he's saying, listen, in regards to the second coming, in regards to the tribulation period, in regards to the lies that are being spread amongst the church, he says, I don't want you to be quickly shaken whether you've been told by a spirit because we recognize that, that spirits of hell can, are, are, are able to speak lies into the church. So whether these lies were heard by a spirit or by a spoken word, people talking about it, or a letter seeming to be from us. That's the letter I made reference to, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He's saying, don't let anybody tell you that the day of the Lord has come. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. Look, he says, for that day, the day of the Lord, that day will not come unless the rebellion, that's the, the, the apostasia, the great apostasy, unless that comes first, and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction. So he's saying, hey, listen, if, if, the, if, if the apostasy hasn't happened and the Antichrist hasn't, hasn't appeared, don't worry about it. You're not in the midst of the tribulation. This morning, as we return to our text, we're going we're, we're to pick up looking at the, the rapture of the church. That's why I love doing expository teaching, because um, 
It allows us to um, address every area that the scripture presents to us in the word of God and not just the, the pet peeves of the preacher, right? And as you're going through passages of scripture, when it deals with sin, we preach on sin. When we talk about, when it preaches, talks about holiness, we want to deal with holiness in heaven and hell and all the subject matter that the scripture presents to us. We want to present the whole counsel of God's word, right? And so where we find ourselves this morning is in this subject that Paul will raise regarding the rapture of the church. And my focus this morning isn't going to be so much on the, the timing of the rapture, but instead on the biblical teaching of the rapture. There are differences of opinions on uh, the tribulation period in regards to where, that, where the rapture will take place in regards to the tribulation. There's a, a pre-tribulational position that believes that the tribulation, or the, the rapture will take place before the tribulation. There's the mid-tribulation position that holds to the fact that the, that the rapture will take place after the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, and then Christ will uh, remove the church. And then there's a post-tribulation period that suggests that the rapture will take place after the church has gone through the seven-year tribulation. Um, I'm not going to get into all of that today. I certainly am not without opinion on the subject matter, uh, but I want to focus first and foremost on the, the, um, the biblical teaching of the rapture. Now, there are Christians who disagree on this subject, and there are still Christians, Okay, so there's some areas of, of freedom that we need to embrace, that we need to extend to one another. And, and so there are some, these are not salvific issues. All right, so we need to, I want to kind of qualify that. Uh, but there are differences of opinions, and I have one. And everybody else has the right to be wrong. Um, <laughs> but um, I'll, I will address my position uh, in, in, in the weeks ahead. But for this morning, I really want to kind of focus on the, the biblical teaching of the rapture because there's a lot of people who don't believe that there's a rapture to take place, that there's only a second coming of Christ. Um, and so I want to present that as an event that is distinct from Christ's second coming. As we consider Christ's first coming, um, and as, a, as a babe in the manger, right, we recognize there are various phases, if you will, to his coming. There was his miraculous birth, his miraculous virgin birth, um, where Christ was born of Mary. We read about his, his sinless life, right? We, we recognize that. We see his vicarious death on the cross, right? And so we recognize that's all part of Christ's first coming, right? We see Christ rising from the dead. We attribute that, attribute that to Christ's first coming as we celebrated Easter Sunday a couple of weeks ago. We consider the 40-day um, post-resurrection ministry of D Jesus before he ascended into heaven. All of those phases, if you will, all of those uh, would, would fall under the, the first coming of Christ. He came as a babe. He left as a sacrifice. He returned as a savior. He ascended as Lord. And we await his glorious return. Likewise, the scripture teaches two phases to Christ's return. There's the rapture where Christ, which is what we'll look at today, where Christ will come for his church. And then there's the second coming where Christ will come with his church. 
And by the help of God, the Holy Spirit, and the teaching of the word, hopefully we can draw some clear distinction between those two events that I believe the scripture clearly lays out for us. First Thessalonians focuses primarily, there's certainly mention of the second coming, but First Thessalonians deals with the rapture. Second Thessalonians, while mentioning the rapture, deals primarily with the, the second coming of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. How many find interest in this subject? All right, good. So we're, we're on the same page. Good. Let's take a look together. I think this is important. I, this isn't the whole gospel, right? And I think that there's, there's, there's problems when all we talk about is this. But as we're going through the scriptures verse by verse, we want to do diligence to the truth that is presented in the path that we are walking. And so um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 13, Paul says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. In other words, and actually another translation says, we don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, you don't have to be uninformed. There, there's some clarity that we can have in regarding the second coming of Christ. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have, and he uses that word again, fallen asleep. This is terminology that Paul, interestingly, will only ascribe to believers. Instead of using the word death, he will use the word fallen asleep. Why? Because the nature of falling asleep is that you, what? Wake up again, right? He only, he only ascribes that to believers, not to unbelievers, and he's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are falling asleep because the problem in Thessalonica was they were concerned, wait a second, if, if we miss the coming of Christ and we're in the tribulation, what about our loved ones who've died? And so there's, there's some questions that they're, that they're having. Now that we need to remember, again, he is addressing people who have been told that they missed out on Christ's return. They've been lied to. And it's an attempt to rob them of the hope that comes with the promise of Christ's return. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who die, those who fall asleep. Look, he says, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Isn't that good news? Look what he does in verse 14. He ties our hope to Christ's resurrection. Do you know that we have hope in our eternal destiny in the presence of God because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you realize that if somebody could have proven or disproved the resurrection of Jesus in the last 2,000 years, they would, have been able, you know, they, they would have been able to do that by now? But they haven't been able to? Why? Because he indeed, Christ has indeed risen from the dead. And we have hope in Christ. As sure as Christ is risen from the dead, likewise, there is hope for our resurrected body. Can I tell you this morning that if you've placed your trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you have a, an unshakable and immovable hope that is founded and grounded in the fact of Christ's resurrection? That's good news. Let's pick up in our text, verse 15. He says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, 
will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's that terminology again. For the Lord himself, verse 16, I'm getting strangled here. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Where? In the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul presents the first phase of Christ's coming, the rapture of the church. Notice he's, he's presenting the, the steps, the, the timing that leads up to this great event. He, notice what precedes the, the descending of the Lord to come for his church. He said there'll be a, a cry of command. It is this, this military command, if you will, a strong command. And then we see the voice of an archangel. It speaks of a, a commanding position of authority. And then he makes reference to and then the sound of the trumpet. Now, in a, little, in a couple moments, we'll take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, where Paul will define the sound of the trumpet as the last trumpet, which is a military term. And to the Corinthian mind, that meant something. The first trumpet in, in times of war, the first trumpet would be blown to gather the troops together for war. But when the, when, the, when the troops were victorious and the war was over, the final trumpet would be blown and is a declaration of victory and that it was time for the troops to return home. A cry of command, a voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet. Now, the exact nature of these sounds are unclear to us, but the purpose is very clear. The time has come for all God's people at the sound of the trumpet to come home. For our blessed hope is about to be realized. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Following this sequence of the cry of command, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet, Paul says at that moment, he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have who've passed away. And so following the, the sound of the last trumpet, the souls of God's people will be reunited with their resurrected bodies. Where does, it, where, did a person, where does a person go today, a Christian, when they die? The scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. At the moment that a person breathes their last breath, they are immediately in the presence of the Lord. Their soul is with the Lord, but their body is left behind. And what Paul says that as at the sound of the trumpet, he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. And so following the sound of the trumpet, the souls of God's people will be reunited with their resurrected bodies. Imagine how that's going to play out. All of God's people 
from the beginning of time whose bodies have turned back into dust and perhaps have blown all over the landscape of God's earth. At the sound of the trumpet, all those dust particles are going to find themselves. The waters will give up its dead and in a miraculous response to God's command to come home, the souls of the departed will be reunited with their resurrected bodies. I found great comfort a little over five years ago as I took my dad's ashes and spread them all throughout the Great South Bay. Knowing that at the sound of the trumpet, those ashes, not knowing where they found themselves, will be gathered together for that great reunion in the sky. You say, come, come on, Pastor. Do you, do you real, do this, Pastor, this is going on TV. This is embarrassing. Like, do you realize what you're saying? How in the world is God going to pull that off? I mean, that's just, that's crazy. That's impossible. Let's not forget that this is the same God who out of nothing created everything. The same God who looked into the darkness and said, let there be light, and there was light. Everything that exists, exists, exists ex nihilo. God created out of nothing, everything. And so the souls of the departed being reunited with their resurrected bodies, these ashes coming together, it's just a walk in the park for the Almighty. At the sound of the trumpet, those ashes will find themselves and be reunited. Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at verse 17. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, where? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I love that. So we will always be with the Lord. Let me point out Paul's placement of himself during this period of time. Paul is writing from the perspective that he certainly believed that Christ could return during his lifetime. Look what he says. He says, we who are alive, we who are left will be caught up together. This again highlights the fact that Paul believed and taught the doctrine of eminence that at any moment, without any sign necessary, Christ can come for his church. And Paul put himself in that place. Then we who are alive or left will be, he says, caught up. Notice this word caught up. The, the, the Greek word here is harpazo. It literally means to snatch away, to be taken quickly, or to be taken by force. Think about that. We who are left will be taken by force with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
Look at verse 17. He says, then we who are live, alive, who are, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And he says, look, therefore comfort one another or encourage one another with these words. He is putting to rest the lies that were circulating in the church that they missed the coming of Christ and they are walking in the midst of the tribulation. He says, encourage one another with these words. Now, while 1 Thessalonians chapter four is perhaps the clearest teaching on the rapture uh, in the New Testament, uh, it is not the only time the rapture is talked about. It is talked about, uh, it's, it's, it's referenced in the Old Testament, but it's also taught by Jesus himself in John chapter 14. Take a look with me to, at that, um, John chapter 14 and, and verse one. It's at this time in Jesus's ministry. He's, he's nearing the end of his ministry on the earth here and he's gathering his disciples. He had been telling them that soon he would be betrayed, soon he would be arrested, soon he would be cross crucified and he would be leaving them. And they're worried. They're concerned. They don't know what their future is going to look like. They, they're concerned about what, what, what is going to happen now that their, 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 their rabbi, their teacher, their Lord is gone. And Jesus says this to them in chapter 14 of verse 1 in John's gospel. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Look, he says, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and look, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There it is again. I, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, in death, we go to Jesus. In the rapture, Jesus comes to us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, I'll come again and I will take you to myself. Notice absent from these two verses, Thessalonians and John, as well as in 1 Corinthians, which we'll take a look at in a moment, absent from that, that discourse is any mentioning of Jesus establishing his kingdom here on the earth, which is what we clearly see taking place following the second coming. Also absent is Jesus judging the earth, which is something we also see taking place at the second coming. There's no mention of this, why? Because it is a separate incident from the second coming. Jesus is going to come, and in the second coming we see that he's gonna place his feet on the Mount of Olives, but in this case, we are meeting the Lord in the air, and we will forever be with the Lord. We go, we're gone at that point and we will come back with him during the second coming, but that's down the road. <clears throat> Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. There it is again, right? He's speaking to Christians, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Isn't that good news? That we're gonna get a new body. Right, this thing might be falling apart here on this earth, but I'm gonna tell you, there's a resurrected body awaiting you and I that is gonna last forever and ever and ever. But notice what he says here. He says, we shall not all sleep. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How do we describe the twinkling of an eye? He refers to this moment happening so quick, it, 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 it's at the, the pace of a blink. I used to think years ago when I wasn't sure if I was, you know, ready to see God or you know, whether I was going to make the rapture. I used to freak myself out. I'm like, all right, I just know. When I hear that trumpet, I'm going to drop to my knees and give my life to Jesus, right? I'd be, there'd be many times I'd be doing some things I shouldn't be doing. And I just knew that at some point the trumpet was going to sound and I would know no matter where I was, I'd need to drop to my knees and repent of my sin. Listen, what a false sense of assurance I was giving myself. In the twinkling of an eye, it is that quick. At the moment, the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. He says, when this perishable, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a beautiful picture of when the mortal, that, that dust on the earth, and, and that soul that is reunited at the rapture when God's people come together, we are going to put on immortality, and we are going to spend forever with the Lord. Look, he says, verse 58, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. That therefore is there based on what he just said. What is the hope of the church? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. I said, that's, that's a fancy way of saying encouraging one another with these words in 1 Thessalonians. In other words, look at everything you're experiencing. Look at all that you're going through, the highs, the lows, the difficulties, the challenges, and everything else. Look at that through the lens of God's sovereignty, of God's power. Put everything that you're walking through in proper perspective. Not walking in denial, responsibly dealing with the things that we are required and stewarded to deal with, right? Not keeping our head in the sand, just waiting until Jesus comes, but being busy, doing kingdom work, knowing that whatever I'm going through, there's something far greater right around the corner. These passages in, in 1 Thessalonians and, and in John and, and, in, and, and, and Corinthians and others, they, they're clearly and distinctly different than those ascribing, ascribed to the second coming 
of Christ. To say there is no rapture is at the expense of clear biblical teaching to the contrary. Notice the contrast, contrast between the rapture of the faithful and the second coming of Jesus with the faithful. We have the, rap, the rapture of the faithful and Jesus coming with the faithful. I think there's a slide up there that if you want to snap a picture of that or however you want to grab it for your own I know, I know I'm covering more than you probably can grab in one, in one setting, so you might want to take some notes. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, during the rapture, we see Christ comes for his own. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 14, in the second coming, we see Christ returns with his own. In John chapter 14 and verse 3, when we look at the rapture, we see that believers are taken to the Father's house. So that where I am, you may be also. In Revelation chapter 19, we see that believers return to the earth with Jesus to judge the nations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, in the rapture, we see that Jesus is only seen by believers. Right? Nobody's going to see the rapture take place. They're gonna see the effects of that, right, as the church is off the scene in the world today, and they're gonna come up with all kinds of creative reasons as to what aliens probably snatched us away, probably. But they will not see Jesus. In the second, in, in, in the second coming in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, it says that every eye will see him. In the rapture, Jesus doesn't judge the earth. He comes and takes the church and we're in the presence of God, the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the second coming, Jesus judges the earth in Revelation chapter 20, verses four and five. Different scenario. In the rapture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52 says it happens in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In Revelation chapter 16 and verse 16, the second coming, we see that Christ comes to the earth with the church to do battle in specific locations and we see the battle of Armageddon at that point. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four in verse 16, when we see the rapture, it says that Jesus descends with a shout. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, in the second coming, we don't see any shout mentioned at all. Now we either have a lot of contradiction in the scripture or we have two phases to the second coming of Christ. The rapture where Christ comes for his church and the second coming when Christ comes with his church. Let's go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. It's gonna read through that and then pull out a couple things for us to consider. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. A couple of things we see about the rapture. Number one, we see that Christ's return will be personal. Christ's return will be personal. He's not sending somebody on his behalf. It will be personal. Verse 16 says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Paul is letting us know that this same Jesus that has been revealed to us in the gospels, the same Jesus who has saved us from our sin, this same Jesus who has carried us as the great shepherd of our souls, this same Jesus will come again for his church, whom he loves so much. It will not be a mystical Jesus or an invisible Jesus. It will be the same one who walked the earth, the same one who died on a cross, the same one who rose again and bodily ascended into heaven. This same Jesus, the Lord himself, will descend. Christ's return will be personal. Secondly, Christ's return will be sudden. Unlike the second coming that makes references to many signs that are going to surround that event. And I believe we're starting to even see some of those signs happening in our world today. I think a lot of people's eschatology, I was just kind of throw this out there to kind of get you thinking. I think a lot of people's eschatology would have changed many years ago if they knew that Israel was going to become a state. Nobody ever thought possible that that this nation would ever gather together again after so many centuries of, of being, of drifting apart. But God's promise to Israel is true. And so we see that, 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 we, we see that Christ's return will be sudden. Again, unlike the, the second coming, the, the second coming of Christ, as you read through Matthew and other places, it'll paint a picture of, of some things that will give us some insight as to know when the second coming is, is, is going to happen. I've made, I have alluded to that uh, many times as we've been going through 1 Thessalonians. Many of the signs that have taken place in our world today would point to the second of coming of Christ is coming soon. I'd submit to you that if the second coming of Christ is coming soon, then the rapture of the church is coming sooner than that. Again, Paul says it'll happen in the moment and the twinkling of an eye. It will not be surrounded by signs or need for anything to happen. It'll be imminent. Thirdly, we see the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. First, this we declare to you, verse 15, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So all, think about all that's going to happen in the moment, in this twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And, the same, and, 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 then, and then we who remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
right? And so we see number three, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then number four, we will follow those who have died in Christ, right? Talk about the great reunion that awaits the redeemed. The marriage supper of the lamb as we gather during that feast, that reuniting of the church, God's people. Number five, we see that we will forever be with Jesus. We will forever be with Jesus. In verse 17, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. It's the fulfillment of Jesus' words in John chapter 14, so that where I am, you may be also. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the plan of God. It's the reversal of what was lost in the garden. When the second Adam, when the first Adam sinned and we were separated from God, the second Adam came and he fulfilled what the first Adam couldn't in Jesus Christ and he has reunited us back and we will forever be with the Lord. Forever and ever and ever. Somebody asked me, is it possible that once you're in heaven that you can make a mistake and get kicked out? <laughs> How many have thought that? I have, I was like, I know what I'm capable of, and like, I'm an idiot, I just might do something stupid, right? Um, but, but the reality of it is that the presence of sin will be gone, and that's why the scripture is so consistently clear in his communication that we will be forever with the Lord. I could comfort one another, encourage one another with these words that I will be forever with the Lord. That's what he says there in verse, in, in verse 18. Therefore, our sixth point is encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. Put in proper perspective all the things that drain the peace from your soul, that keep you up at night, the things we worry over, the things we wonder if God is aware of, Rest easy knowing that God has you. He is sovereign over the universe. We can encourage one another with these words. So what do we do with this? The rapture of the church can happen at any moment. Well, what do we do with this? I mean, for some people, man, this just freaks them out, scares, scares the daylights out of them. How do we respond to this biblical teaching of the rapture? And well, number one, a couple things, and you've heard me say oftentimes, you know, we, we, we shouldn't be afraid, first off. It shouldn't be something that invokes fear, unless, of course, you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then you have something very much to be afraid of. Right? There's only salvation in Jesus Christ. Right? The, the, the people in Noah's day had nothing, the, the, the people that Noah's family had nothing to worry about because they were in the ark. Everybody else had something to worry about because they were outside the ark. Those who are in Christ have nothing to worry about when the storms of tribulation come and the storms of, 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 of eternal damnation come. The church who is in Christ will be saved and safe. So you have nothing to be afraid of. What is fear? Fear is false evidence appearing as real. That's what the enemy loves to do, right? 
I always tell you guys, stare at the bear. Right? What's making you afraid? Just look at it first. Deal with it and, and throw some truth at it so we can dismantle the bear. So using bear as an acronym, I'm going to give you four things that we should do in light of what the scripture teaches about the rapture. Using bear as an acronym. Number one, be encouraged. Be encouraged. God is in control. God is sovereign. Are you ready? God loves you. He has you. Right? If you're in Christ, you can be encouraged that no matter what goes on, he has you. Secondly, the E stands for evangelize. What ought we to be doing in light of the fact that Christ could come out, come at any moment? Get the gospel out, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That's you and that's me. We need to be diligent workers in God's harvest, bringing the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Thirdly, A, anticipate his coming. Live in light of the fact that Christ could come at any moment anticipate his coming. You say, well, that, that means I wouldn't do the things I'm doing. Good. If you wouldn't, listen, if you're doing things that you don't want to be doing when Jesus comes, then stop doing them. And this truth needs to be a, re, be a reality for us, recognizing that Christ can come at any moment. Anticipate his coming. Live in light of his soon coming. And then number four, R stands for ready your heart. Ready your heart. What does that mean? Walk in holiness. Deal with sin. Run from it. Cleanse your heart. Repent to God of those things. Don't take light or take advantage of the grace of God that's available to us. Paul said, I write these things that you might not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Confess your sins. And as we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. We need to ready our hearts. Don't allow sin to reside within you. Run from that. Repent of that and run to the shepherd of your soul and walk in holiness. As our title suggests, right? Walking in holiness and hope of the sure resurrection and the soon return of Christ. Be encouraged, evangelize, anticipate his coming, and ready your heart. For at any moment, Christ can come. For the redeemed, for those who have placed their trust in Christ, there's no greater truth. For the one who has not done that, today is the day of salvation. Don't put off to tomorrow what you can't promise to do. Nobody controls their day or their hour. Come to Christ while he still might be found. Ask him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to be your Lord and your Savior. Not to join a church. It's not about that. It's about getting right with God and realizing I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and coming to God's provision 
in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that this life is but temporary and there waits for us an eternal home that you have prepared for us. I pray, Lord, that that reality would encourage us in our hearts and in our minds. It would drive us to reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ that would cause us to live in great anticipation of your coming and it would cause us to examine our hearts to not allow sin to reside, but instead that we would walk in holiness and humility in light of the fact that at any moment you can come for your bride. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.